0: 20 and 21. It says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Shall we pray? Father, we thank Thee for this evening, we thank You for Your mercies of this day, and that, Lord, just for the privilege that is ours to be in this place and open the Word of God together tonight. We pray, Father, that You administer to us through the Scriptures, that You would teach us from Thy Word. Lord, You help us to understand all that You have done for us in the ministry of the angels, and Lord, that we would have a better grasp and an understanding of what the Scripture teaches and why it's important that we understand these things. Father, I just pray you'd help me to teach with clarity. Help me to teach, Lord, with uh, simplicity and uh, in a way that everybody who leaves tonight will leave having taken something from the study that will be of uh, eternal and spiritual benefit uh, to them. We pray also, Lord, for those who may be watching online, and we know there are uh, friends who connect with us in that way. We pray your blessing upon them They're at home or wherever they may be, Lord, that you indeed encourage them in thy word this evening. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Now, my apologies. I did have a PowerPoint, but I came out without it. So, I was just annoyed As soon as I stepped out of the car, I realized, oh no, I've left my laptop at home. But anyway, not to worry. It was just pictures. So, uh, we'll do without. So, anyway, we're thinking this week about uh, angels, and we'll be doing that in the run-up uh, to Christmas. Number of years ago, I uh, went along to a funeral in England, uh, one of our church members had a brother who died, and uh, I went out of respect uh, to attend this funeral at the, in a high, high church, high Anglican Church, as they call them, which is really the next thing, to Catholicism, and uh, went along and sat in the back row, and uh, you know, was being quiet and respectful and you know, just listening in on what was taking place. And uh, the minister was atrocious. The vicar was all over the place. Uh, the guy didn't have a message. He had nothing really worthwhile to say. He would say a few words and then he would just point to a cross behind him on the wall and he would just say, Let's all look at the cross and think about that. And I just think, What is that about? I did not even know what that was about. But anyway, in the middle of this service, he invites the granddaughter of the deceased to come and to share some thoughts about her grandfather. And that was fine. You know, this young girl got up. She was probably about 15 or 16 years of age. And she said she wanted to read a poem that her grandfather had written her when she was a little girl. And it meant a great deal to her. And so the poem was about fairies. And so she wrote this poem. I read this poem about fairies. I didn't have a particular problem with that. If her grandfather wrote her the poem, he wrote her the poem. That was okay. Uh, and she got done. And she went and sat down. And then the vicar said this, and I'll never forget it. He said... Do you know what I think about when I think about fairies? He said, I think about angels. Angels are like fairies. And when he said it, I said out loud without realizing it, oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize I'd said it out loud until the latter half of the congregation turned around and looked at me. <laughs> now I had to go, sorry, sorry, sorry. But I was just so incensed by this definition of what an angel is. Angels are like fairies. And I thought to myself, that vicar's away with the fairies. You know, I've often looked at the portrayal of angels in popular culture, you know, in Hollywood, on TV, uh, and, and even here at this time of year, in Christmas, you get these Christmas angels portrayed on Christmas cards and of course in Christmas ornaments and decorations. And I look at a lot of these cherubic figures supposedly and I often think to myself, what an insult to angels. Uh you know, angels must be appalled at some of the ways in which we portray them. And certainly the Lord is likely appalled by some of the ways in which we portray them. There's very little taught today about the subject of angels. Indeed, this is not just a modern problem. It's always been a problem in the church down through history. And yet there's a very good reason why we ought to study the doctrine of angels. We ought not to be indifferent to the subject. We ought not to think, well, this subject's not really very important, uh, as though it somehow has no effect upon us or no impact upon us. Angels are real. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting when I've taught on this topic in the past, and uh, particularly when we get into the nature and the work of angels, invariably I find people come forward and they say, You know, this happened to me. And they'll tell me some story in which they think that perhaps they had encountered an angel and uh, were unsure of that for whatever reason. And uh, that's because angels don't usually appear with wings. Uh, in fact, they never appear with wings to men, uh, they always appear in a human type form. So we want to know about angels. We certainly don't want to deify angels. We don't want to make gods out of them. Uh, But we ought also not to deny angels nor to deny their existence because in so doing, we deny the word of God. And uh, we must be careful not to uh, practically deny their nature or their work either. You know, we don't question the activity of demons in the world. So why do we question the activity of angels? In the world, and the reason we would do so is because we haven't seen one, or at least we don't think we've seen one. And uh, at the same time, how many of us have actually seen a demon? Uh, none of us have seen a demon. These are spirit beings; they're more often invisible, than invisible, but they're certainly active in this world. And so, I want to begin tonight by asking the question: Why study the doctrine uh, of angels? Well, here's the first reason, because angels are mentioned in the Scripture. The first mention of angels is in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1, where two angels appear in Sodom, and they come to Lot's house. And we know the story uh, well. Earlier on in Genesis, there's uh, there's a mention of the angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord mustn't be understood or misunderstood as a regular angel. That's a Christophany. It's It's an appearance of Christ, uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Uh, after the incarnation, you do not find Christ appearing in that form. The last mention of angels is found in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is speaking about angels. In total, angels are mentioned 284 times in Scripture. 108 times in the Old Testament, 176 times in the New Testament. They're mentioned in 34 books of the Bible. That's over half the Bible books mention angels in some way. And so, you know, it's, when you think about it, it's amazing. Given that there are so many verses and references to angels, given that so much of the Bible makes mention of angels, given that they're mentioned from Genesis to Revelation... We say such a little amount about them. And I think we do ourselves a tremendous disservice uh, and the scriptures dishonor uh, when we choose to ignore a subject which the Bible actually gives some degree of emphasis to. So we study, we think about angels and we study angels because the angels are mentioned in the scriptures. But then the study of angels also affects other areas of doctrine say, what's it matter whether we believe in angels or not? What difference does it make? You know, as long as we're believing in the Lord, isn't that the main thing? Well, certainly that's the main thing. But it also matters a great deal whether or not we believe about angels and what we believe about angels. It affects what we believe about the Bible. If you think there's nothing that angels do or angels have no impact upon us, you're mistaken. Uh, Angels played a role in the giving of the word of God. Uh, Do you know that there are portions of the Bible that you hold in your hand which were given over to men by the angels? Uh, Look with me in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and I want to look at verse 19. Notice what it says. Wherefore then serveth the law? Um, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And notice, it at the law was ordained, or if you like, it was prescribed by angels In the hand of a mediator. In other words, the angels put it into the hand of Moses. And so, uh, if you look in Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, Stephen's famous sermon, uh, he also makes reference to that fact. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, Verse 22 says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who, having received the law, notice, by the disposition of angels, by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. So the angels passed the law of God into the hands of Moses. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So here we see that angels were involved in the giving of the word. Uh, we see that the word was passed on by the angels in some respect. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it, notice, by his angel unto his servant John. So we have these references that the angels played a role in the giving of the scriptures, and that somehow or other they passed the scriptures into the hand of men. On occasions. Therefore, uh, we ought to acknowledge their existence and endeavor to understand their role. So, if we don't believe in angels, if we say, well, angels aren't real, or angels are mythological, or angels are are like fairies, as that vicar said, well, it really puts a big question mark over the Bible, uh, because the Bible, in part, is given to us at the hands of angels. It it also affects the, the things that we believe about God proper. You know, look at me in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, the angels are seen in Scripture as ministering spirits. They are spirits that minister before God. They are as heavenly hosts. And if we deny their existence, then we lose something of our understanding of God. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, we read about seraphim. Now, there are people who want to split hairs. They want to say seraphim and cherubim and angels are different uh, creatures altogether. And that may or may not be. I tend to think of them as perhaps ranks of angels or different kinds of angels. Uh, You know, seraphims had six wings, as we see, cherubim had four wings. And then it's uh, it's sometimes suggested that because it's six and four that regular angels have two wings. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that angels have two wings. It doesn't say that anywhere. Uh, So you can search the scriptures. Go home and check me out and see if there. I'll be happy to be proven wrong, okay? Uh, But check me out. Nowhere does it say that, that angels have two wings. So in Genesis chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims each one had six wings with twain or with two he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly and one cried unto on another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory so you get a picture here of god sitting upon his throne and all of his majesty and all of his glory surrounded by these glorious creatures who are eternally proclaiming his holiness in the presence of the entire populace of heaven. So if we deny the role of angels, then we're going to end up denying something of our understanding of God proper. It also affects what we believe about Christ. Jesus taught us about angels. Now, some people suggest, well, Jesus just went along with superstition of the time, the popular superstitions or traditions of his day. And if that's the case, if Jesus just going along with something, If you're just going along with it, knowing that it's false, then that really reflects on your integrity. It would reflect upon the integrity of Christ if he was just going along with something. In any case, Jesus was very quick, was he not, to challenge traditions and superstitions of the day. So why would he uphold the concept of angels if angels did not exist? To the contrary, uh, angels were present at his birth, angels were present during his life, angels were present at his resurrection, at his ascension, and will be present at his second coming. Let's look to the gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we come to the nativity account, of course, Uh, Luke chapter 2, and we read about the adoration of the shepherds, Uh, the shepherds who were in the in the fields, minding their sheep by night, and then, of course, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and uh, re- and reveals to them the birth of Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And uh, and then they go along, and they uh, and it says verse thirteen. And suddenly there was with the angel, with that one angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest." And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. So angels were a presence in his birth, not least of all Gabriel. Gabriel makes the annunciation. He, you know, he, comes to, uh, he comes to Mary and he announces the fact that she's going to bear the Christ child. Uh, he appears before Zechariah and announces to Zechariah that he's going to have John the Baptist as a son. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 4. So angels were there in the, in the Lord's birth. Angels were there in the Lord's life. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11. We come to that passage of Scripture which speaks of the temptation of the Lord after he had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And uh, when the temptation was done, the, the devil had come and tempted him and failed in each of his temptations. It says in verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So there's angels at his birth, angels during his life, and then we find angels in his resurrection. Look in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 11. It says, Mary stood without at the sepulcher. She's standing outside the grave weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth what? Two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So there's angels at his resurrection, angels at his birth, angels in his life, angels in his resurrection, angels at his ascension. Go across a page or two to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. says, And while they stood, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven. As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now notice that the, the uh, description is, is described, they're described as two men. You say, how do they know they're, they're angels? You know it by their dress. They're in white apparel. They're wearing this, these garments that we've already read of there in John chapter 20. There stood by them two men uh, in white apparel, which also said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven." Uh, so here we see the angels are there in his birth, the angels are there in his life, the angels are there at his resurrection, the angels are there at his ascension, and the angels are there at his second coming. 2 Thessalonians, if you will, and chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angel. So when he comes, he will be surrounded by his angelic host. And of course, we know from Matthew 24 and 31, he's going to dispatch some of those angels into the four corners of the earth to gather his elect and bring the Jewish people into Jerusalem for the millennial age. So Jesus taught us a lot of things about angels. He taught us that angels do not marry. He taught us that they'll be involved in the end, separating the wicked from the righteous, uh, that they safeguard the righteous both on earth and into heaven. Look in Matthew chapter 18. Here's an interesting verse. Uh, speaking about angels, Matthew chapter eighteen and verse ten it says, "Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angel." Do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now this is in the context of Jesus calling a little child unto him and setting the child down in the midst of them. And then he says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. I think that's a tremendous passage uh, insofar as you think about the possibility, and it seems here to be a reality at least with children, uh, if not with adults, that they may well have a guardian angel, that they have an angel who's looking out for them and an angel who will report to their father, uh, to our father in heaven, uh, concerning any abuse of a child. And I would say anybody who messes with children or who abuses children in any way uh, will suffer greatly uh, before the Lord whenever they stand before him in judgment. And uh, that the angels will testify against them. Uh, so, there is the possibility that children may have uh, a guardian angel. Uh, in Acts chapter 12, when uh, Peter gets out of prison, you remember when he, Peter gets out of prison under Herod and he comes back to the, uh, to the church there in Jerusalem. And uh, they, they, he comes to the door, and Rhoda goes out there. And uh, Peter says, you basically, let me in. You know, it's me, it's Peter, I need to get in. She goes back in and she reports it to the prayer meeting. And, and they say, it's his angel. You know, it's his angel, uh, thinking he must be dead. And now in Jewish tradition, uh, it was believed that uh, believers had angels and that when you died, you know, your angel then was basically redundant and went off and did whatever else he was going to do. Uh, And so the idea was that Peter was dead and here was his angel at the door rather than Peter in person. Uh, Of course, that wasn't the case. It's a Jewish tradition. It wasn't something that Jesus taught. But here is something that Jesus taught. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels, notice he says, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So certainly we see that angels are active in the lives of the young. uh, But also we see angels are active even in death. Look in uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. says that in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, very sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which lay at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass, the beggar died, and notice, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died was buried if you notice there's an absence of angelic activity in the death of the rich man the unsaved man in the story whereas the angels are active in ushering the saved into the presence of Abraham's bosom and into paradise and so that I believe is likely going to be our experience when we die as believers that we'll be ushered by some angelic presence into our heavenly home that the Lord is going to come for us uh, in the end or he's going to send an angel for us uh, in the end and you know it's interesting in almost a, a third of all New Testament uh, passages dealing with angels uh, all those are found either in the direct teachings of Jesus or surrounding his life in ministry so a third of all the knowledge that we have about angels from the New Testament uh, are centered upon the life or teachings directly of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, considering then that our knowledge of Christ is so heavenly influenced by the presence of angels, stands a reason we ought to give them some place in our understanding uh, and and get a grasp of what these heavenly creatures uh, do. Not only does it affect what we believe about the Bible, uh, what we believe about God, but what we believe about Christ, but it also affects what we believe about man. You see, according to Scripture... The holy angels are sent to minister to and assist those who are redeemed. whilst fallen angels, and Satan in particular, wars against us. What does Paul say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He takes you into the demonic realm and he says, listen, your battle is a spiritual battle. Uh, Your fight is not with men and women. Your battle is with unseen creatures. Uh, Things that are beyond your experience and beyond your visibility, but they're a reality. And in the same sense, on the other side of the fence, you have these angels who are also a presence in our lives. And so we ought to give a proper, a proper place to that. We ought to give an acknowledgement to the place of angels in human affairs and realize that we do live in a spiritual world and that whilst we dwell in this physical body, there's limitations to what we understand. But, but here's the thing. We're essentially a spiritual creature with a physical body. And there is around us a spiritual world, a spirit world that we cannot enter into, cannot see. But we will see, I believe, someday. Why should we study the doctrine of angels? Well, because of the rise in the occult, uh, interest in the occult and demonology and in Satan himself. You know, there's a great many Christians who are enamored with the whole subject of demonism. There are lectures given and seminars given on demonism, Uh, even uh, exorcisms, there no amount of, uh, no small amount of interest. You know, there are people who uh, go to learn how to exorcise demons. By the way, the Bible tells us nowhere how to exorcise demons. That's uh, simply an unscriptural practice, Um, you know, you see. A study of the doctrine of the angels will help us in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, it will give us a new sense of God's greatness and majesty. You, know, you think about it. Uh, so often we view God as this solitary figure, don't we? I mean, if, if we were to imagine God, and you really shouldn't try to imagine God. But when we speak about God, we often speak, we use that word, and you, in your mind you see this solitary figure sitting on his throne, almost like alone, as it were. Please, anything but alone. He is surrounded by a heavenly host, by an innumerable company of angels. Millions upon millions of them who are praising him and worshipping him. Even as we saw in Isaiah chapter 6, where they seraphim cease not day and night to cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, God of uh, Almighty, as the, the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, here's the thing. That gives us a picture of God's majesty. Of his greatness. That he's surrounded by such creatures. So it's, 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 it does that for us. It also strengthens our faith in God's providential care. I want you to look at 2 Kings for a moment. 2 Kings. You know, it's marvelous that these splendid creatures, these amazing creatures minister unto the Almighty. But it's even more surprising and more marvelous that he dispatches them specifically to take care of us. 2 Kings chapter 6 and uh, let's pick up reading in verse 8 and read down to verse 17. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. It says there the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants saying in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel to Joram saying beware that thou pass not such a place for thither the Syrians are come down. So Elisha is revealing the plans of King ben of Syria. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. In other words, this was something that was happening on a regular basis. The king of Syria would set up a trap. He set up his army uh, to deal with the king of Israel and the king of Israel would avoid the trap because Elisha would reveal to him as a prophet that he was walking into a trap. And so verse 11 says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He says, There's a spy in the camp. Somebody is somebody's revealing to King Jehoram, you know, what's going on here. Who is it? There's somebody, one of you in my court are here, who's a who's a who's a spy, who's leaking information. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel. Telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. (laughs) The Lord even knows what you say in your bedroom. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, a big army. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, Behold, an host compassed the city, booth with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, the servant must have been thought at this point he was out of his mind. He's looking here at this mighty army surrounding him. And uh, he says, You know, we're in trouble, Elisha. Look at the army, the Syrians are, have come for us. And Elisha says, but Alex, there's, there's more on our side than there is on their side. In verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, "Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness." And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And so the story goes on. A remarkable story of protection, of God's providential care uh, of those who are His own. You know, there there is one instance in my life where I, I think, possibly, potentially, maybe, not a hundred percent, but I'd be. 85% sure that I had an encounter with a, a creature, with an angel that I think protected me. And this was when I was a young pastor. I had this jalopy of a car that somebody gave me. Uh, it was a terrible car. It had you know, no springs, no horn. The windscreen wipers didn't work. The lamps went out. The lights went out in the dark. And you had to get out and thump the bonnet to get the light back on. It was just one of those cars. But anyway, uh, one evening... I came in from visiting and I drove into my drive and uh, I had in the back of my car um, a set of hedge clippers that somebody had loaned me, petrol hedge clippers that somebody had loaned me. And they were in the boot of the car and I thought to myself, I wonder should I get those out of the car in case somebody stays the car. And then I looked up the street and all my neighbours had lovely cars. Every one of them had a lovely car, these BMWs and all the rest of it. I looked at their lovely cars and then I looked at my rack of a car and then I thought, what thief in his right mind would steal my car? We got this choice of vehicles. Why would you steal this vehicle? That was the thought I had. So I thought, I'll just leave the clippers there. Nobody's going to bother with that. And I went into the house, got up the next morning. Car was gone. <laughs> car was stolen. So so I phoned the guardee. I was in Dublin at town. Phoned the guardee, reported it to them as being stolen. And uh, about... Half four or five o'clock that evening, the guard phoned me and he says, We found your car. Great, I said, Where is it? He said, It's in Killinarden Estate. Now, I know that name means nothing to you, but if you're in and around Dublin, Killinarden Estate is probably one of the roughest, toughest neighbourhoods going. Okay. When I passed it there, the police went in to investigate a murder on one occasion. And the, uh, the the locals were so incensed that the police wouldn't allow them to trample over the murder scene and to look at the body of the poor girl who'd been murdered, that they upended the uh, Garda car and set it on fire. That was the Killen Arden estate, Okay, it was a rough, rough spot. So they always in in Killarney State. And here's what's the words of the guard, are, "You better get up there quick before they burn it." Well, it's all right for him to say that. I have no car. <laughs> My car was in Killarney Estate. So I borrowed a bicycle, and I cycled, like Billyo, up to this estate, which was a couple of miles away. I Cycled up to it, came into the, into the estate, and there was the guarder sitting beside the garda car sitting beside my car. And the guard says to me, "Is that your car?" And I says, "Yes, it is." He says, "Well," he says, "the battery's flat. They must have tried to start it." He says, "The battery's flat." He says, uh, "He says, uh, and you, you may get it out of here." He says, "As, as soon as you can." He says, "But we're not hanging around here," and he he just reversed out and left me. Just left me there with my car, no no means of getting out. So when I had when I was going up to get the car, the deacon's wife said to me, "Pastor, if you find your car, she says, don't do whatever you do. You know, don't don't mess with the locals. Just leave it be. If you know they're bothering you, just leave. It's not worth it. Don't kill you." So anyway. I, uh, I put the bicycle in the back of the car, the, the hedge clippers were gone, to put the bicycle in the back of the car. And uh, thought to myself, I'm going to have to have to go and get a phone. But while I'm, while I'm thinking about that, these, these young teenagers came down. And they started circ- circling the car. and they're only about 12 or 13. And they started circling the car, and they were trying to pull bits off the car, like the wipers and stuff. <laughs> so I got out of the car and chased them. You know, get away that. You know, your best Belfast accent, you know it always works. Come on. <laughs> so, so they all left. They all left, and uh, and then I got into the car again. I was thinking, what am I going to do here? I, I had no phone. It was days before mobile phones. And and then next thing, this bigger crowd came over the hill. Came over the there was like a grassy area, and these were older fellas, maybe 19, 20, 21. <laughs> and uh, they were standing on the hill, and I thought I'd better go and knock on these doors and see if I can. Get help here! So I went up to the, went up to one of the neighbors and asked if I could use their phone, and they, and they said that was fine to let me in to use the phone. And while I was on the phone to the church deacon, asking the deacon to come down and pull me out of there, the neighbor said, "You better get back to your car; or they're turning it to pieces." And I looked out. Either, now this other crowd had come down, and they were like yanking their wing mirrors off and stuff, and they were destroying the car. So I, <laughs> I, I ran out. And ran over and sat in the car, don't even know what it was thinking about. You know, I sat in the car. And so then they started circling the car like, you know, like Apaches or something, you know, like they were just circling it. And uh, going around the car with me inside And I thought, this is desperate. And uh, <laughs> one of them says, What would we do? And one boy says, Well, why don't we just set it in fire? And I was like, You've got to be kidding, I'm in this car, you can't set it on fire. And then another one says, let's go get a hammer and we'll put all his windows in while he sits there. And so I'm, I'm in terrible trouble here. And so I, uh, I was like, what am I going to do? And then that first came to me, what time i am afraid I will trust in thee? That was the thought that crossed my head. What time i am afraid I will trust? And no sooner had that, that thought crossed my mind than I heard this voice. Where it came from, I don't know, but this, this voice came up the street and it says, who owns that car? And I jumped out of the car, and I said, I own the car. And this man, I don't know who he is. He was either an angel or he was an IRA man, but he was something. (laughs) And he just said to these boys, go away and leave that man alone. And they all walked away, like five-year-olds. I mean, just put their heads down sheepishly. These were the boys who were setting me on fire a few moments before, and now they're they're all just wandering away as if like, they, they don't want to mess with this guy. And then the guy helped me. He, he helped me get the car started and got me out of there. Now, was that an angel? I don't know. It could have been just anybody. It could have, Like I said, it could have been just an influential figure in that community or whatever. But, but you know what? Whether it was an angel or whether it was an angel, certainly I believe God providentially took care of me. But here's the thing. God sometimes sends the angels to take care of you. He sends the angels to protect you. He sends the angels to get you out of scrapes. You know, uh, John Patton, the uh, great missionary, uh, he, he, said, he tells a story about the time when hostile tribesmen uh, surrounded their, their mission headquarters one night intent on burning him and his wife out and killing them. Uh, but Patton and his wife prayed all during that night and that God would deliver them. And when the daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably all the attackers had left. A few years later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ, and John Patton remembered what had happened that night. And he asked the chief, "What had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing him and his wife?" And the chief replied in surprise, "Well, who were all those men you had with you in there?" And the missionary answered and said, "There weren't any other men in there; just my wife and I." And the chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to, to, to attack. And only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect him. The chief agreed that there was no other earthly explanation. So by studying the doctrine of the angels, we'll appreciate the fact that sometimes God directly intervenes in our lives. And sends angels our way. And then it teaches us humility. Who's greater? Man or the angels? Look at Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8 verse 4. says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Notice this, man is made lower than the angels. That's our, that's our status in terms of creation. Uh, you know, the angels have greater powers than us and all the rest of it. Now here's the question, who serves whom? Do we serve the angels or do the angels serve us? Well, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister unto those who are the urge of salvation. So God sends his angels to minister unto us. And yet they're higher in the creative order than we are. And that teaches us something about humility. You know, sometimes we get above our station and we think we're too important to do this or too important to help here. But here, wait a minute. If the angels of God are willing to serve man and serve you and I, at the will of God. Surely we also should be willing to serve others and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. So in studying this doctrine, we're taught about humility. So we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss the doctrine of angels, but let's embrace it as another truth from God That uh, and, and may we find in its truths encouragement and indeed strength and comfort and joy and blessing. Now next week, Lord willing, I'm going to speak to you about the nature of angels. What exactly are angels like? Do they have little cherubic faces? Are they females? You know, are they, you know how, do they, how are angels? What do they look like? How do they act? You know, what, what can you expect from an angel? And we'll look at that, Lord willing, next Wednesday evening. We'll leave it there for tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Um, just a couple of things before we do that. Number one. There is a um, flat, a little card invite out on the table there. If you want to use it for Christmas services and uh, all the events of importance, are on the back of it. So uh, if you've got friends, and you may put that in a Christmas card or whatever, uh, or hand it out to a friend or a work colleague and invite them along to the church. Also out there, there's a little tract. Um, it's, it's a card again. Uh, we put these all through the village today. Joy to the world. The